the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 7. When you're there, say, Jesus is better. All right, here we go. Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 18. The disciples of John reported all these things to him, and John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind he bestowed sight. He answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind received their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, The poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. When John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in the king's courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. When all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, They declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. To what then shall I compare the people of this generation, and what are they like? They are like children, sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. This is the word of the Lord. Well, you may be seated. Good morning, Westside. We're glad that you're here. And hello to everybody joining us online. We are in the season of Epiphany, and we're learning that God is like Jesus. Um, It seems like a simple truth, but pretty profound once you begin to think about it. And just want to set us up just by a way of illustration where we're going today. Um, Many years ago, when we had um, one child, Roman, who was our firstborn, um, it was like the first or second Christmas that uh, Roman was around. So it was the family. And my wife does a fantastic job of planning like family events and you know, experiences and stuff like that. And we saw a local advertisement here in town for a thing called um, like Christmas Palooza is what it was. And so, I mean, if it's got the word Palooza in it, that's going to be incredible, right? You know, so we're you know we're all excited. The flyer looks fantastic. Um, it was actually down at the old train station, and so uh, we we show up and we walk in, and uh, a very sweet lady says, "You must be here to see Santa." And we were like, "Yes, we're here for the Palooza, right? We are here." And and she said this. She goes, "Oh, Santa got stuck in Arkansas." 
and I thought she was joking, like, because that's a super funny lead-in to a joke. Like, and she goes, but, but Santa sent a, a helper and a friend, and so just hang out right here, and, and he's coming. It's one of Santa's friends, and so um, this, this guy, like, came out of the bathroom, I think, like, wearing, like, Santa t-shirt and pajama pants, and so we're already kind of like, and a light was kind of flickering, like, we're like, oh my goodness. Then he had this beard that was kind of off to the side, and you could see like a a five o'clock shadow, and we're just like, oh man, the real Santa for real is in Arkansas, like, we don't know who this guy is, and then he goes and he sits just on this fold-out metal chair, and he's like, all right, we're ready. And I'll never forget Roman, just a little bitty guy goes, I do not like this Santa. <laughs> it just as clear as day. And so we were like, oh, come on, bub. And he goes, I am not going to sit on that Santa, <laughs> right? And so as parents, you're like, oh, my goodness. And you kind of do the parent thing where you're like, oh, hey, I think we got to change his diaper or something. We'll be boom. And we were just gone, okay? Like we just vanished, you know? But the, the flyer, the expectations, we had expectations. Christmas palooza. This is going to be fantastic and awesome. But what we experienced um, was the exact opposite of our expectations. And if, if you're a human being in here and have breath in your lungs, then you've felt that before. Um, you, you had expectations about something, uh, maybe marriage, and now you're experiencing marriage, right? And Hallmark lied, Jerry Maguire lied, don't nobody complete, nobody, none of that stuff, okay? So there's these um, expectations, and then there's this experience, and, and maybe even just relationships in general, job, um, you know, whatever it is, life, life, had all of these expectations and now what I'm experiencing is completely different than that. And I would just maybe lay before us that um, that's probably one of the number one things that I hear from people who are following Jesus is, um, hey, I, I had these expectations of what this was supposed to be like. And what I'm experiencing in my life is, is not the same. And really, that's the, that's the thrust of our passage today. And the whole reason why we're in the season of Epiphany is this, is that Epiphany uh, corrects our expectations of what God is like, if you will. That's a very, very important thing for us. So, so if you're a follower of Jesus, this is massively important for us to have right expectations. But, 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 but even if you're not, maybe you're just sort of peeking over the fence. You're sort of trying to figure this thing out. We, we're so glad that you're here. But this is massively important for you as well because before you get on board with this thing, it's, it's pretty important to know where we're going. And so the whole really message comes from verse 19 and then verse um, 20 there. The question are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Now, there's really two questions. The, the first one is, are, are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah? Um, by the way, great question. Probably the most important question that anybody should ever ask about anything in the world, and the most important man that ever lived, Jesus Christ. But the second half of that, because if you're not, can you point us in the right direction? Because there are expectations that we have of a Messiah. Now, there's a bit of background, and everything that's sort of swirling around is swirling around John the Baptist. 
Do you guys remember John the Baptist? We learned about him in Advent. His dad, Zechariah, his mom, Elizabeth. Pretty cool stuff. I mean, his birth was prophesied 400 years even before he was born. That's a pretty long time. Jesus even talks about it, that he is the messenger that goes before Jesus, was filled with the Holy Spirit in his mother's womb. I mean, epic, epic life this guy has lived. I mean, he was on the paleo diet before it was ever cool, eating locusts and honey, wearing the camel hair, like all of that stuff, right? He even baptized Jesus. That would be good on a resume, I would think, right? I mean, he got to see the holy, I mean, it's just incredible stuff. And John even has the, one of the greatest epiphany moments in, in all of scripture. John says this in John chapter one, verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, behold, it is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I mean, John has lived through some things. There's some experiences there that you would think that John's expectations are all reasonable and everything's A-OK. But there's something surrounding this passage that we see in the harmony of the Gospels. And, And John sends his disciples to ask this question of Jesus because um, John's a little bit busy at the time. And Matthew tells us this in Matthew chapter 11. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah. What deeds? Oh, you know, just raising a widow's son from the dead, healing a centurion's servant, you know, just a normal Tuesday with Jesus. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? John's in prison. We're going to learn about this um, because he's preaching against Herod. Herod, we learned about him also around Advent. This guy, the butter slid off his biscuit a long time ago. And this guy is like a Jerry Springer episode. He kills his brother to get his brother's wife, and he's got a bunch of other wives. And so what John would do, dressed in camel's hair, and the prophet would go stand outside Herod's palace and rail and preach against Herod and say, hey, man, what you're doing is wrong. That is not your wife. I mean, just put Herod on front street all the time, constantly. But here's what's weird. In Mark chapter 6, it says that Herod loved to hear John preach. It's like fascinating. He would be like, this guy's about to yell at me, and I love it. I'm going to go hear about this some more, right? I feel that way about some of you on a Sunday. No, I'm just just kidding, okay? And so what we see take place is Herod's... um, Lady, like his side lady, is like, hey, we need to stop that. That's causing some drama. Put him in prison. So now John's in prison. A question. Uh, Has John done anything wrong? Is John outside the will of God? What does John need? John needs some more faith, stronger faith. If you have stronger faith, you'll get out of prison. Um, John's saying, I had some expectations of what a Messiah was like. And I'm experiencing jail. Can you help me out with this? Now, many commentators say, did John's disciples need encouragement? That's why John sends his disciples, or was it John? I don't know, but I think the question is very important for us to explore. And really, this is the thesis and the big idea today is this. Our expectations of Jesus affects our experiences with Jesus. And I think some of us are experiencing some things and in our relationship with Jesus Christ that um, we feel a little bit frustrated or we're fearful or there's some things creeping in because our expectations are all off the map. 
They were nowhere really in reality. So the question that we ask when we come to this text is, how can we have right expectations? What do we need to do to have right expectations of Jesus? And I see a few things in the passage that we're going to learn today. And the first thing is this. It's, it's rocket science. It's, it's pretty incredible. To have right expectations of Jesus, go to Jesus. I mean, we're in the deep end today, folks, okay? You came on a really good day. Because check this out, verse 18. The disciples of John reported all of these things to John. John's in prison, so they didn't have FaceTime, couldn't send a text message, all right? So they're going to visit John. And they're saying, this guy is doing incredible things. John is in prison, and it says, verse 19, calling two of his disciples to him, he sent them to the Lord, saying, are you the one who is to come? Or shall we look for another? Verse 20. And when the men had come to him, Jesus... They said, John the Baptist has sent us to you. Are you the one who is to come? You know what's interesting? A lot of times when we see people approach Jesus in the Gospels, or if they have a question about Jesus, they ask his disciples, or they go to the disciples. And so um, we would know that as triangulation is what that's called if you have a workplace question, right? So you have a question about someone, and instead of going to the someone, you go to the people that are around the someone. But what's interesting is John sent his disciples to Jesus, directly to Jesus. And I thought about this this week. Um, a lot of you guys have been hearing about, um, you know, what's going on with the coronavirus. I mean, it's like serious stuff. Um, and I thought that was something that people caught on spring break in college, but that's a different thing. Like, this is serious. This is like an epidemic. This is some serious stuff. And anytime a pandemic or anything like that takes place, the major thing from what I've seen, and you guys are a lot smarter than me, is you got to find the source. Where did this start? Who was the, like, what did they eat? We need to know all of these things. Because if you're just treating symptoms, then each time the virus comes into someone, it morphs a little bit, changes, does this, does this, does this. So they're always chasing the source. Here's the reason why I say that. Many of us have questions about Jesus or the church. And many of us are living off of second or third hand information from your grandmama or your granddaddy or a Google article or this, that, and the other. And praise God for your grandmama and granddaddy. But at the end of the day, here's what I'm trying to say. Jesus is the source of Christianity. It's not this opinion based, this, that, or the other. If we're going to have right expectations of Jesus, we need to go to Jesus. That's why the gift that we have of the Bible that you hold in your hands and these four Gospels and the historical credibility of this and the historicity of these things passed down by such a great faith, as the writer of Hebrews would say, big questions require big work. So in order to have a right expectations of who this Christ is, we need to go to Jesus. But that's not all. The second thing that I see is this, is that we have to be honest with Jesus. It's not enough to just go. There's a desire that Jesus has. And, and I love it. John the Baptist was a forthright guy. I mean, this guy, the jelly on the bottom shelf for him. And he just straight up asks, are you the one who is to come? And if not, we need to know what else to do because we're not going to waste our time with you. If you're not the guy, you're crazy, but we're not going to waste any more time with you. We need to go somewhere else, right? And what does Jesus do? Huh. Question in my authority. I'm God, right? Um, no. Actually, the people that we see that Jesus is the most tender to in the Gospels are people who have doubts or have questions. 
like, like Thomas. Remember Thomas? Doubting Thomas. We give Thomas a bad rap because Thomas was like, um, I'll believe it when I see the resurrected Christ. And maybe you, you've heard like, oh, Thomas, bad, bad, doubt, doubt. How does Jesus treat Thomas? Hey, come here. Come here. You want to feel my hands? And some of you grew up in a home or a church where it was bad to ask questions. And you were, um, it's like a spiritual abuse almost. Like have more faith. Don't ask. Don't assert authority. Don't, and listen, I'm, I'm terribly sorry that you grew up in that environment. Because the Jesus that I see in the scriptures invites you to be honest with him. God only meets us in reality. That's why lying is a big deal. Do you know that? Right? Let's just have a little Sunday school lesson right here, okay? Why is lying bad? Well, number one, because it distorts reality. That lie is not real. That's, we can't work with that because that's false. Secondly, you can't lie in isolation and not hurt someone else. Wow, that sounds like love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So oftentimes, we try to deal with Jesus in a false reality that we create. And Jesus doesn't want to work in that. Jesus wants you to lay down all of the expectations that you have. And listen to me. This is what I'm trying to say, and this is a massively important sentence. Most of the time, uncommunicated expectations is premeditated frustration. Okay? That is a great sentence for your marriage. 11 a.m. is a lot quieter than the 9. That's okay. That's all right. Right? Because we can't meet any, Jesus is not going to be able to meet expectations or deal with us in reality if we, un, if we don't communicate those things. And so because we're frustrated, because that communication was not communicated, now my expectation has not been met, and now this, that, and all types of things. So Jesus wants us to come to him and to be honest. Man, is this really how it's going to be? But it's not just that. What do we do after that's happened? Well, I see this that we look at the works and the words of Jesus. Look at how Jesus answers. This is great. It's like the most gangster answer ever. So they ask in verse 20, are you the one? John sent us, are you the one or shall we look for someone else? How does Jesus respond? Look at verse 21. You're looking at your Bible? You got a fake Bible on your phone? We'll let it slide. It's okay. Verse 21. In that hour, he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits and on many who were the blind bestowed sight. Then he answered him. Here's where I'm getting my entire point from. Go and tell John what you've seen and what you've heard. So Jesus' answer to them is first evidence. It's evidence. Just go tell John the effects of what you see. And, and the big idea is, is restoration. Where it, listen to me. Wherever the kingdom of God is, people are being restored. They are being made whole again, emotionally, spiritually, physically, psychologically, all of those things. That's what's so beautiful about the kingdom of God. And so first and foremost, Jesus says, look around. Look at what you see. And then he says what you hear. And Jesus says these words. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have good news. Preach to them. Jesus is quoting a prophecy that goes all through the book of Isaiah. So listen to me. Jesus says in order to have right expectations of him, he quotes a verse from the Old Testament. He uses, well, maybe this will help. 
So last year, we had saved up for a couple years as a family, and we did the whole Disney thing, the whole experience, and a magical time was had by all, okay? And we also did it because our youngest was young enough that they got in for almost free, and we, because we're balling on a budget in the Jordan home, okay? All right? So we were like, we don't care how small you are, you're going, okay? And so I did the typical guy thing, like uh, the, the lady that helped us book this and my wife, and they send you all this information, like brochure, like all of this stuff. Well, I did what any guy does, and maybe not every guy, but this guy. I didn't read any of that stuff, okay? Like none of it. Because here's what my thought was. I've been to Branson before. <laughs> that, I mean, honestly, that was like, I was like, Oh, cool. We've never, and I didn't do a bunch of like um, vacations and stuff as a kid and this, that, and the other. And I was like, I mean, I've been to Silver Dollar City, like fire in the hole, the ball knobbers. Let's go, man. It's a blast. Did you know that Disney has its own zip code? I mean, this place is bananas, okay? Like, I thought that you were just going to be able to do this and go here and do that. Oh, no, you got, like, scheduled fast, but, like, all of this type of stuff, okay? So midway through the experience, I'm reading all of this stuff now, and I'm like, did you know this? My wife's like, yes, we did know this. We read the brochure, okay? Goodness. Here's what I'm saying. The scriptures shape our expectations of Jesus rightly, and some of us, some of us are living off of a hallmark expectation of Jesus. You've allowed some sort of Christian bookstore hallmark card to give you all of your theology of who Jesus is. And now that something's took place and you're waiting in the doctor's office wondering what the report's going to be, that little hallmark card's not going to be a right expectation for you. And it seems to be a plague more so here in Butler County where it's like it's passed on and it's passed on and people are living off of like second-hand generation expectations of Jesus rather than letting the scriptures shape our expectations of Jesus rightly. And John, Jesus tells John, hey, listen, here's what your expectation should be and here's the source in which it should come from. So we need to go to Jesus. We need to be honest and lay it bare and trust me, Jesus can handle that. We need to look at the works and the words of Jesus, primarily in the scriptures, so we can have a right picture that is shaped properly. And then this next point is pretty difficult, but Jesus says it. We also need to humble ourselves before Jesus. This is one of these verses that if you're not like familiar with your Bible, you would, if somebody said, you know what, Jesus, remember when Jesus said, blessed are the ones who are not offended by me? You'd be like, Jesus said that? What? And by the way, if there's ever a life verse for 2020. That's it, right? I mean, talk about a campaign ad. Blessed is the one who's not offended by Jesus, okay? Because now everything revolves around being offended. Well, what's underneath all of that? Here's what Jesus is saying. John's probably not going to like that I said what I said. But blessed is the one who does not stumble over. Does not stumble over me. Why, Jesus? Because all the expectations that you bring and lay before me, I'm going to shatter those. And blessed is the one that when those expectations are shattered or shaped rightly, still remains. Because we see Jesus all the time dealing with people in the Gospels, right? I mean, think of the rich young ruler. Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? 
sell everything that you have. Come and follow me. And he walks away sad. Why? Shattered the expectations. See, this is the offensiveness of the gospel. Have you ever wondered, like, when you read Paul or people in the New Testament, and they're like, what's so offensive about the gospel? Well, it's because nowadays we've changed the gospel quite a bit. So, so most of the time when you hear gospel, um, this is how it's presented, right? Like, God loves you, and um, you're awesome, and if there was only one person on the whole world, it was you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and Jesus died for you, and you, and you, because you, and you, and you. And then someone goes, well, this is great. I'm awesome. Like, God be like, this is all about me. This is incredible, man. Whereas the reality is it's good news because we're lost. Have you ever, like, amazing grace, how sweet this sound, was blind, but now I see? Like, was lost, but now I've been found? And this idea that, that we were the ones who have rebelled. And so it's this idea of, of humility and pride. I love what J.C. Ryle says. He puts it this way. Let the caution of these verses sink down deeply into our memories. Let us take heed that we are not offended by Jesus or his message. Let us beware of being offended, either by the humbling doctrines of the gospel or the holy practice in life which it enjoins on those who receive it. You see, brothers and sisters, secret pride is one of the worst enemies of all mankind. It will prove at last to have been the ruin of a thousand souls. Thousands will be found to have had the offer of salvation, but to have rejected it. Why? They did not like the terms in which our Lord and Savior presented it. They would not stoop to enter in at that narrow and straight gate. They would not humbly come as sinners to the throne of grace. In a word, they were, as our Lord says, offended. And then will appear the deep meaning in the Lord's words. Blessed is he who does not take offense at me. You see, we think that when we come to Jesus, we negotiate. Like this area of my life for that area of your life. And then this and then that. But these are my political views. And then this and then that. And in reality, it's a surrender. That's why it's offensive. And, and, and here's just a little um, gauge for your heart when it comes to pride. It's a very simple question. It's one that I'm learning to ask myself all the time. Um, how do you respond when you don't get your way? It's a very revealing question. Is it um, when you don't get your way, you then manipulate and jockey for position, and now I'll cause something here, because when that falls apart, then I'll have to slip in and be there, or I'm going to pout and I'm going to punish all the time, constantly to manipulate and make them know. And then when they know, and then what, listen, it's all that is, is pride. And what Jesus is saying is, listen, that is a stumbling block that will keep you from me. We have to be able to surrender our expectations and let Jesus shatter those. So we go to him. We are honest with him. We look at the works and the words that he has. We humble ourselves to go, okay, okay, if this does not go my way, um, which leads us into the last one. We have to persevere with Jesus until the end. Because here's what happens most of the time. 
when our experience does not match our expectations, we bail. We bail. From a restaurant to a relationship. If this is not going the way in which I expected it to go, then everything about this must be wrong. Therefore, I am bailing. I am done. And do you know how the story of John ends? So so John is in prison for preaching against Herod's lifestyle and saying that Jesus is Lord, man. God is sending someone and he is here. What happens is is the the side lady that, that Herod has also has a daughter who's a dancer. And Herod throws a big party and lets her dance, okay? And he's lit drunk. And as she's dancing, he says, greatly, in, I'm just reading the Bible, okay? I'm sorry, this is just the Bible, all right? So um, she's dancing, and Herod says, um, I'll give you whatever you want. She turns to her mother. There's a very, like, super unhealthy mother-daughter relationship here. And the mother says, tell him that you want the head of John the Baptist, so listen, John's in prison, and a stripper just says that he wants his head cut off as a gift. And the whole time going, is this the will of God? Is this what's, am I out? Am I giving up on this? And then here's how it happens in Mark's gospel. The king was greatly distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, quote unquote, wine, he did not want to refuse her. So he immediately sent an executor with orders to bring John's head. The man went and beheaded John in prison and brought back his head on a platter, presented it to the girl. She gave it to her mother. Now here it is. On hearing this, John's disciples, it's the same guys we're learning about right now, The same guys that went to Jesus and said, hey, John's in prison and it's not looking too well. Are you the one? I'll let the evidence speak for itself. They go back and tell John, this is what we've seen and this is what we've heard. And Jesus quotes the Old Testament prophecy. We think that it's him. It's him. Next scene, head cut off. I wrote this this week and I don't have, I can't like make, I can't clean this up. And I'm really asking myself if I'm okay with this. But following Jesus may end horribly from your perspective. And here's what I asked myself this week. Am I okay with that? Am I okay with that? This is the call. This is the call. Because why? There has to be something underneath that. If you're saying that my expectations will be shattered and it might end horribly wrong from my perspective, then at the end of the day, what is worth it? What is worth it to follow this Christ? And the answer resounding all through Scripture from John the Baptist, from Peter who's crucified upside down, from the Apostle Paul who is in a jail getting ready to have his head cut off by by the Roman government is this, is that Christ is enough is that Jesus is enough. Is that I've given my life to Christ and the cancer might not be healed and the relationship might not be restored, but at the end of the day, I humbly bow my knee before Jesus and I am persevering until the end. Until the end. And I'm pressing in 
and I am pressing in. This is the call. This is the watershed moment of what we see when it comes to epiphany. Is is that are we okay with the goal of following Jesus simply being Jesus? That's the great reward. And in closing, I love what one commentator said, these words. Jesus did not meet John's expectations of what the Messiah would be like. What they thought the Messiah would be like had massive political implications. And we're so different today from those people in the Bible, right? What they thought, the reason why John asked the question is, I'm in a jail, and if if this is the Messiah, then this should have radical political implications, and you should overthrow the Roman government and get me out of this jail. But Jesus did not meet those expectations. And as followers of Christ, we must realize that Jesus may not always meet our expectations. He may not do for us what we would think a deliverer or a savior would do. He may not take away a difficult situation or heal a broken relationship in the way in which we would hope. He may deem it best for his power to be displayed in your weakness rather than your strength. He may call you to love people that you would rather not love. Following Jesus means you may get the unexpected because Jesus does not always go the way in which we would expect him to go. But we're all in and we persevere until the bloody end and say that Christ, that Jesus, he's enough. So just two questions. What are your expectations? What did you come in with today? What God would do? And what are those expectations grounded in? I think most of the time, if if we're honest, and please be honest, we're frustrated because in reality, we're following a Jesus that we've created in our image rather than humbly submitting to the very image of God found in Jesus Christ. And you know what's so crazy? Is even though it may end horribly wrong from our perspective, what the Apostle Paul says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us and to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever and ever. Amen. Because at the end of the day, what Jesus does is far better, far better than what we could ever ask or think. It just doesn't seem like that from our perspective. So in just a moment, we're going to come and we're going to see the body broken and the blood shed. And today the application is to simply lay down the expectations. Lay them down. Let Epiphany correct our expectations and then pick up the reality of the body broken and the blood shed. So Westside, let us stand to our feet, lift our voices and our hearts to God and pray how Jesus taught us to pray. Lift your voices. Our Father who art in heaven,
Heavenly Father, we come before you grateful. Grateful to know that the Son is like the Father. And you really do desire for us to come. I pray today, God, that we would be humbled when we come to this table. For this table is not a reward for the righteous. Oh, no. It is a gift to the broken, to the needy, to the weary at heart. I pray that you would shatter our expectations and that you would replace it with something much better, which is yourself, Jesus. We pray this all in your holy and in your precious name.